This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I am a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. In this week's episode, I spoke with Felicity, who is a parent through surrogacy. Felicity considered several options for her surrogacy journey and as you'll hear, she has some great tips for intended parents who are preparing themselves for a surrogacy journey. This is a two-part episode, so make sure to listen to part two as well. And now I'm going to hand over to Felicity. My name is Flick. How did you come to surrogacy? Uh, Like most hetero intended parents after a really long road of fertility problems and a great amount of loss as well. I understand that you gave birth to a little girl a few years ago. Tell me what happened there. Uh, My little girl, her name is Lily and I birthed her uh, 24 weeks and three days due to HELP syndrome. So the background story on me, I have an autoimmune condition called antiphospholipid syndrome, which simply causes my blood to clot at random. I didn't know I had it until after I had had a stroke. I had had been having migraines and just in a lot of um, retrospective looking at migraines and headaches and things, my neurologist and I were able to pinpoint this is when you had your stroke. I have antiphospholipid syndrome. Found out about it way after I'd actually had any stroke event. And I basically passed out in the shower for gastrointestinal related stuff and had a CAT scan because I had a bit of a headache and they found a nice big infarct where obviously part of my brain had died. So we started a lot of investigative stuff to work out what had happened and neurologists went back through migraines and headaches and worked out a case in 2009, this one here where you said you couldn't talk for a couple of days and locked yourself up, that was likely your stroke. So The silver lining for me in terms of fertility was that I knew I had this condition before attempting to achieve pregnancy, whereas most women who have recurrent miscarriage will find out about having this condition after 5, 10, 15 miscarriages or preterm deliveries. So silver lining, I was able to be on blood thinners during pregnancy as well as outside of pregnancy. However... um, When we were first told about the risks of having APS and pregnancy, the 15% chance of us falling pregnant was the big glow of light of, yes, we can do it. And we forgot about the 85% of it's really not going to happen. So we had five miscarriages in total and stillbirth of Lily at the end. And I developed preeclampsia pretty quickly. It came on within two and a half days. So I presented at hospital on in the evening and by not even two and a half days, actually one and a half days, I came in in the evening and then by the following afternoon, I delivered Lily because I had gone into help syndrome. My liver and kidneys had shutting down and they said I, I would not be able to continue my life if I still had my baby girl inside me. So I delivered Lily and she did not survive. She was still born. Mm. and the immediacy after losing Lily, I don't remember much except for her face and voices, and my fertility specialist and obstetrician said, under no circumstance can we let you try for pregnancy again because experience shows that preeclampsia will happen again and HELP syndrome will happen again to a much higher degree and much sooner in your pregnancy. 
So they said your likelihood of surviving another pregnancy are pretty much zip. That must have been pretty overwhelming when you're, you're managing the grief of losing Lily as well as your fertility, essentially. Yeah, um, the whole thing was overwhelming because I remember sitting up in the bed and I don't remember, I think it was night time, I'm not sure, but sometime after I'd had the cesarean, um, Lily was so small she couldn't actually be delivered vaginally. So I had a, um, a classic cesarean, which means that the uterus was actually cut vertically instead of across, which also would make it quite unlikely to be able to sustain a pregnancy again in future regardless of my condition. But I remember after the operation when I was all okay and sitting up, I had Lily in my arms and she was wrapped in a, a little blanket and my husband was sitting beside me and my stepdaughter was beside him and they were cuddling and I'm looking at Lily and Beck, my OB, was standing at the foot of the bed and making notes and, and she was just saying gently, like, I cannot let you do this again. And she must have been going through my charts and things and checking off all the levels and different pieces. And I just remember looking at Lily and just thinking, well, I made Lily and mm. I'm proud of that. I did that. I did that. I'm really, really proud of that. But the back of my head was always saying, well, it's not over. It's still mm. not over, which is this weird thing that I think any maternal woman who just really wants to have a child, even though you're faced with so much loss and grief and locked doors to every single option there's still something in the back of your head that says well no you're going to keep going mm. you're going to keep moving and I think despite our immense grief and loss my husband and I were just probably even more determined than ever that having Lily was not going to be in vain that she would be the key to finding our next steps and to welcoming her brothers and sisters into the world healthily and there's some real beauty in that story too of hearing about the grief of losing Lily but of you being able to actually grow her that far in, yeah. in the face of everything else that was happening. My, my mum actually she can't have children either so I'm adopted and my sister and I are adopted. We've always known we're adopted and when mum was sitting beside me at some point, may have even been the next day when we were saying goodbye to Lily, just mum and I were in the room and I was holding Lily and mum was with me and we we're both crying. And I said to her, well, I did this for you and me, mum. I, you gave me a life. You adopted me and gave me this beautiful life. And, and now I gave Lily part of her life and, and I took one for the team and I, I, I grew her and you've raised me. So the next step is now together we will have a baby somehow and raise the baby together. I remember that moment so crystal-like in my mind between myself and my mum over my beautiful little girl. And, yeah, oh, that's so lovely. Tell me, after Lily, how quickly did you then start exploring surrogacy as an option? Fairly quickly. I'd say within weeks of me being home. So I was still having quite immense blood pressure problems for a couple of weeks after returning home. So I'd say it was three and a half, four weeks until I remember being able to wake up in the morning and go to bed at a normal time and not being all over the place and falling around and things. So I remember sitting up in bed with the dogs. I guess Law and Order was on TV, you know, just background noise and the phone was in hand and I just started Googling just immediacy. And I remembered um, when Pete and I first started to do IVF, I was really paranoid that it wouldn't work for us. This was years before, two, three years before. And I Googled IVF 
fertility, um, infertility, what could happen? Because I was, I was faced before Lily with what if I can't have children? So I just Googled and I came across the Fertility Connections Forum and I signed up a profile and just said, look, I'm going to be starting IVF. I don't know if it's going to work. Maybe I can't have kids, la, la, la. I'm just doing this just in case. This was years before. And so when it came to the point after losing Lily, it dawned on me after Googling again, hang on, I joined this forum a couple of years ago. I might actually sign that up and fulfill that and see what happens. So that was the first step in realising I thought I made a bit of groundwork. Let's catch up and logged in. I read all the information on the Fertility Connections website. I read everything on surrogacy Australia. I read everything on families through surrogacy. And I logged straight into Fertility Connections and just started reading. I was not in the frame of mind to start posting anything about myself yet because I, I'm kind of like a, would you say a bacteria takes over? I'm kind of like a bacteria on information. <laughs> so when I see something in front of me and I know I need to learn it and know it, I spread myself all over it and I suck it all up. <laughs> and that, that's what I did. I, I infected the information in the nicest possible way without tainting it and sucked everything up. So I read some beautiful posts from tummy mummy Renee as my first grounding post about surrogacy. And I have to say it was the most beautiful thing to hear the beautiful story that she had with her first IPs articulated so perfectly, painting a beautiful picture about what surrogacy could be, but also highlighting things to remember and, and what to do and seeing her other posts. It gave me that little beacon of hope of surrogacy can be done in Australia. This does happen. We're not an isolated case. We're not the first groundbreakers. And then reading more, I found Marion, who has the same autoimmune condition as I do. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm not the only one. I finally found someone who has the same condition as me and felt solidarity in that. Mm. And even reading through sad stories about people seeking surrogates, it, it was heartening and grounding to find that I'd sort of reached a place where I wasn't alone. And there was real solidarity in knowing that, that... Pete and I weren't stranded out to sea with no hope for the future. It was a beautiful moment and feeling like all of a sudden pieces are starting to fit together and, and there are doorways opening, windows of opportunity with more information to infect. So You considered a few different options. Did you consider looking for a surrogate within Australia? Yes, we definitely did. And when I first made a post on Fertility Connections about our story and what we were doing certainly we were definitely looking in Australia and I think for my husband's sanity he let me continue in investigating and working everything out and he kept everything working in the background housewise with uh, my stepdaughter his daughter and everything else happening and keeping things running and while I was still recovering he just let me take that on as a project and let me come back to him with information so as I investigated more and got more involved in the community, Pete started thinking, actually, yeah, this can be done. It can be done. And the opportunity for a seminar in Melbourne came up for Families Through Surrogacy and I jumped on it immediately. It was just happenstance that it was the last one running in the series and it was a couple of days after I'd posted who I was and the back of our story and flew down and, and that really opened everything up. So we certainly were considering all options for Australia, but also in attending that seminar, that also opened options for overseas because we hadn't thought about overseas yet. So what did you uh, look at for overseas options? 
So Canada, our first exposure to Canada was through that seminar, um, simply because I had no idea it was even offered in Canada. I think most people coming to surrogacy with no need for it would naturally assume that surrogacy is available overseas in the US as well as developing countries. And when you were put into the world of needing a surrogate, you sort of put a few um, guidelines in for yourself about where you will permit yourself to look. And I knew from the onset immediately, I won't go investigating anything in developing countries. It just didn't sit well with me. I can't really articulate why. I just didn't feel a gravitation to it. I felt like, well, no, it's going to be home or it's going to be somewhere well-regulated. And that was it. And it was predominantly all home until that first seminar. And we had Leia from uh, Fertility Consultants, Canadian Fertility Consultants, I think. And she Skyped in and, and, and a lawyer as well from Canada Skyped in. And all of a sudden I thought, well, wow, this actually happens in Canada too. And it seems to be a much faster process in the sense that there are agencies that exist that can facilitate a relationship with a surrogate and you work out who you were matched to and off it goes, which takes out the, um, the length of time in Australia in forming a foundational relationship with someone. So I had the two frames in my mind of, well, we can go in Australia and keep forging our way through working in the community and getting to know everyone. And we also have a Canada option and that happened a lot quicker. And so when I flew home, mum and dad picked me up from the airport and driving me home and mum and dad were banging. They're like, all right, tell us everything that happened. Did you meet tummy mummy? Did you meet so-and-so? <laughs> and saying all the things that you shouldn't say to a surrogate, is she available? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, mum, dad, no. Etiquette 101, do not ask. Is your uterus free? That's not how you do it. <laughs> I said, no, mum, can't stop thinking about women I'm meeting as potential ovens walking around. That's it. And I said, but there is Canada. And I swear, dad would have had an accident had he not already been driving at about 20 k's under the speed limit because he was so in, in just fixated on what we were talking about. He's going, Canada? What, 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 what are you talking about, Canada? And so I explained to them, yep, so Canada's there, there's agencies in place, there's lawyers and things, and it might actually be an option. And they started asking about cost involved. And I said, well, Pete and I will need to talk about this and maybe extending mortgage and doing that. Mum and Dad are like, no, you bloody well not. If you need something, we'll help you out. Blah, blah, blah. You will have a baby. We're not going to let Lily save me in vain. And they've always been the biggest cheerleaders. So That's amazing. And it must have made such a difference having their support behind you as well. It did. And that was probably one of the, a big tick in the column of overseas because for a long time, having a family was just me and Pete. And then when we lost Lily, it became our whole family. So it was everyone dealing with that grief and everyone understanding there's this hole that can't be filled and will never be filled. Mm. But we want to try and grow some beautiful gardens around it, if that makes sense. And so mum and dad became so invested in it. And with them saying Canada sounds like a great option, it spurred me on to look at it more and think, okay, well, can this work? Yeah. So, that's when we started investing in Canada more. That's amazing. So uh, at some point you decided not to go through to Canada. What, what happened there? Ambiguity. So at first we were really hopeful because there were laws in place and across most provinces in Canada it seems that everything was above ball, everything worked out. But the more we started asking about the altruistic part in Canada, which is what we liked about it, 
because it was similar to Australia, was that the allowances were generally along a, a pretty high line. And I will say that this was early on in our surrogacy journey. So we were comparing a lot of things about pregnancy-related expenses to my own related expenses when I was pregnant. And so it was really hard for us to justify, okay, well, $2,000 a month for expenses? How much did I spend every month on expenses? And we couldn't quite work it out. And that sort of shifted us back to think, well, if we're going to go to Canada, which is overseas, we'd like it to be altruistic because that's most in line with New South Wales law. And having that cap amount every month of up to $2,000 every month for the 10 months that you're pursuing surrogacy plus an agency fee and plus everything else, it spooked us quite a lot because we just thought, well, how can that be altruistic then? Because mm. it doesn't really fit in line to the, our own pregnancies that we've experienced. As we were talking to them and finding out more about the process, it just didn't sit well with us. And even speaking to other agencies in Canada as well, it seemed like they were skirting around the issue of saying, yep, it is altruistic, but kind of you can expect to pay close to $2,000 every month anyway, mm. which made us feel really, mm. So by that stage, we were talking to two agencies in particular in Canada. It was February the following year of 2016. And the next seminar had come up for Families Through Surrey and I'd managed to twist Pete's arm and he was going to come with me to Sydney and mum was already coming whether we liked it or not. She was booked in. She said, I can't believe you went to Melbourne without me. You got to meet Renee. I didn't. I'm coming to Sydney. <laughs> so we all drove to Sydney together. Mum's own experience in not being able to have children really, it shaped her. It shaped the beginnings of her marriage as well. And she had always so looked forward, and Dad too, to having their grandchildren and to seeing my sister and I as parents. They've always wanted that, always. And so when they were faced with, okay, well, our youngest, she's going to have a lot of trouble. And then, oh, she's really having trouble. And now it's closed. She can't. I think mum automatically just rallied and just went, well, no. I have all my spirit tucked away from when I needed it. I'm going to lump it on her as well and we're going to overcome this and dad as well. It's like your own personal cheer squad. Oh, more than personal cheer squad. They, they are literally holding me up mm. at times when everything has fallen away. Mum and dad are there to say, well, no, we're not giving up on you. This is going to happen. You can't give up because we're going to hold you up. And it's such a beautiful thing. Mm. being an adult now and with my stepdaughter coming into her teenage years in a couple of years makes me very emotional thinking oh the circle of life I used mm. to feel yeah I hate my parents yeah. <laughs> teenage things and now I'm like I cannot cannot do without my mum and dad yeah. anyway so February we're all up in Sydney next family's through surrogacy conference and mum is taking notes <laughs> from every single thing that's said and then the last presentation was from Agency for Surrogacy Solutions, which is an agency in the US. And, yeah, we, we listened to Laurie and Catherine and we really loved that they were IPs themselves and they had experienced all the ups and downs through surrogacy themselves. They sounded like they could really appreciate where we were coming from. And once they spoke, it was up to question time and Pete has taken my hand and said, we're going to go talk to Catherine, which was a bit of a, a moment like this for me, like, oh, my God, 
he's getting involved in surrogacy when he when it was my project he now wants to be in it this is so cool so I was very excited and we started talking to Catherine and immediately Pete and I were pretty much in tears just saying to a near stranger this is our story and this is what happened with Lily and mum's there as well rubbing our backs and saying it's okay which only made it worse of course so we cried some more and Catherine just opened her arms and gave us both a big hug and just said I completely appreciate everything you've been through such a difficult time and please contact me I want to be there to support you through this because surrogacy is so confusing and so overwhelming I want to help you through this and provide information where I can which was a really nice thing because by comparison at that same time we had a lot of emails going with Canada a lot of Skype conversations and after a couple of months of research and talking to different people at different agencies, they were getting really pushy, really pushy, really quickly in our time in deciding what was right for our next steps. So it was apples to oranges for us. It was, well, Catherine appreciates where we're coming from. So after that point, Pete and I started talking about the US as an option. Mum's just saying, yes, 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 yes. But also we were thinking, well, we could also do Australia. And so we had the real comparison of US versus Australia and it just literally came down to time, that there was an immeasurable amount of time, be it long or short, between us in Australia finding a surrogate or not. We could equally never find a surrogate. Whereas in the US, it was almost guaranteed in a contract to say within six months, you will have surrogate and you will be going through transfers. And that gave myself and Pete a lot of hope in thinking, well, we can make a lot of progress here where the past three, four years we've been floundering and having lots of ups and lots of downs. At least this seems like a, a well-worn track in this can be done. And knowing as well through Sam that so many other couples have been to the US already and wasn't being policed and they were coming home with no issues and everything was going well. It just made sense. Okay, let's really look at it. Our first thing was making some embryos. So in emailing Catherine and saying, yeah, we're going ahead. And it, it wasn't an immediacy thing from February we signed up. It was end of March. We decided, yeah, we're going to go ahead. And Catherine said, all right, probably good to start embryos. Ideally, we'd like you to do it here in the States. But if you've got some in Australia, you can ship them over. We weren't thrilled with the quality of embryos we'd had picked up in Australia. Our thaw rate was, we've got six, we only get one. So we figured, well, let's try in the US. They've got some great reports. So Catherine referred us to speak to a whole bunch of different clinics in the US. We picked our favourite. Incidentally, Dr. Bustenfar, whose wife has the same condition as I do as well. So I just thought, everything's aligning. It's making sense. And my gut just went with, this guy's got a great sense of humour. He could get along with a couple of Aussies. I'm sure this would be great. So we organised to do a co-managed cycle where I started in Australia, bought all the meds here, which was a lot of money, unfortunately. But I started my cycle in Australia, flew over probably 10 days before peak and then landed in LA, did the rest of the monitoring and the pickup in LA. We ended up with a huge amount of embryos because they do do their drugs very seriously in LA and they get you right to the point of you're healthy and then here's OHSS, they get you right to that point. We got 32 picked up mm. and uh, somewhere in the 20s of viable embryos, wow. which is massive, huge, That's... when our average in Australia was 12 pickup. And 
it, it, it all happened so quickly that I was in Sydney doing the pre-prep and getting ready to fly out when we needed. So we'd signed our contract with APRSS and within two weeks, 10 days, we had two profiles back and immediately one of them we thought, yep, Christy, she's our girl. She sounds pretty damn amazing. And we messaged back to say we'd like to see if we can work with Christy. When we flew to LA to do egg pickup, it coincided at the same time where Christy said, yes, I'd like to work with these people. And so we set up our Zoom call. And when we were sitting in the LA hotel room, we're having a, a three-way chat, basically, with Catherine and their surrogacy coordinator and Christy and us. And we're just doing a chat to get to know you. And it was really good because this is the opportunity for an intermediary person to ask the difficult questions which can get skirted around, I think, in face-to-face -face conversations with people and in any other times. So she said out loud, okay, so if we get to the point of one embryo being transferred, but it splits into four, it splits into two, how do we feel about selective um, reduction? How do we feel about um, invasive testing and um, non-invasive testing? How do we feel about Down syndrome? Reasons for termination? What do we want to do after birth? What What is everyone's thoughts on things and it was really good because we could come straight out and say it and just know look this is our opportunity to get it out we're not going to be offending anyone with what we say or, or what we don't say and incidentally everything we said was everything Christy said we had absolutely no disagreement whatsoever so Christy would be saying something and you could see us nodding on screen or we'd be saying something and Christy would be nodding and we're like yep yeah, totally we, we totally agree yeah. and the next day, got the email from Catherine to say Christy's in. And then two days later, the email from Christy to say, hey, nice <laughs> to you if you want to email. Here's my address. And it started from there. So we did the egg pickup, flew home. So our embryos were ready in June. And then we did all of our legals and we transferred in October. So really quite quick, three, four months. Um, the beautiful thing as well, and, and perhaps we just hit it lucky with Christy, we were emailing and talking all the way through that time. So emails from weekly big, big emails progressed to, I really can't be bothered typing all of this out on my phone. Can we just get to IMing? So we Facebook friends immediately sharing photos and IMing every day, and we still do. Pretty much every couple of days we're reporting on how kids are doing, what times we're both up at night, um, who had the best tasting bacon, um, whole bunch of things. So, and we still continue that. She's one of my best friends and I adore her. So, That's lovely. And it's so lovely to hear that you can actually have that relationship with the surrogate even when she's in another country. Oh, yeah, definitely. And even when it's part of a formal arrangement that you've yeah. been able to develop the friendship. Exactly. Yeah. And, and maybe we just hit it lucky. Maybe that's the case, but... If we hit it lucky, I don't care. I'm just so grateful, so mm. grateful. That was part one of my interview with Felicity. You'll need to listen to part two to hear how it all ends up. In the meantime, if you'd like to get into contact with me, you can find me on Instagram and on Facebook or at sarahjefford.com.